Welcome to Power Play. I'm Mike LeCouture. Today, Ford called to testify, and he's fighting the summons. The inquiry into the Emergencies Act wants to hear from Ontario Premier Doug Ford and Minister Sylvia Jones, but the politicians want a court exemption. Will Ford face the panel? We've got the latest in moments. And the grocery gouge? It's good to do a study. It's good to do eventually an investigation. But, you know, what Canadians want is to start seeing results now. The Competition Bureau launches a study of record-setting grocery prices. It comes after unanimous motion against price gouging in the House last week. Will MPs unite to act on action to address the pocketbook pinch? We'll debate that in moments. Plus, the UK has a new PM. Again. I will work day in, day out to deliver for the British people. The UK Conservatives have a new leader and the country has a new Prime Minister. Can Rishi Sunak repair the caucus cracks and will he end Britain's economic turmoil? We'll bring in former High Commissioner on the task ahead. This is Power Play. Let's get to the players. Today was Ottawa's interim police chief, Steve Bell's turn in the spotlight at the Emergencies Act inquiry. Bell was a deputy chief when the convoy started, but he was promoted to interim police chief when his predecessor, Peter Slowly, resigned partway through the protests. While Chief, Bell, while, while Chief Bell was answering questions here in Ottawa, it was the news out of Toronto that had everyone talking. Ontario Premier Doug Ford and former Solicitor General Sylvia Jones, who is now Ontario's Health Minister, have been summoned to appear as witnesses before the Commission. But a spokesperson for Ontario's Attorney General says in a statement that the province is going to challenge the summons in court. Quote, the government will be seeking a judicial review to set aside the summons and receive a stay. Under the grounds, the summons are inconsistent with the member's parliamentary privilege. It goes on to say, we believe that questions about Ontario's institutional response will be sufficiently addressed by the testimony from two senior officials already selected by the commission. This comes as Premier Ford told reporters last week that he was not asked to appear at the inquiry. For more on this, let's bring in CTV National News reporter Judy Trin. She's at the inquiry. Judy, thanks so much for joining us. What more do we know about the summons calling for Premier Ford and Minister Jones to testify? I mean, the inquiry goes until late November. Could the court, could going to court be a stalling tactic? Well, it is a stalling tactic right now, but it is going to be up to the courts, and there is reason to move this very quickly. As you know, there is a deadline for this, and there is a summons for them to appear. Now, this summons was initiated last week when the lawyer, Paul Champ, uh, for community groups and businesses in the city of Ottawa, uh, decided that uh, he want, he asked the commission to summons, uh, to summon the premier and to summon uh, former Solicitor General Sylvia Jones to testify at this hearing. The reason for that was that they, he felt that there was a lack of information, uh, that we do not know exactly what the political players at the provincial level were doing at that point. What was their reasoning for not participating in high-level uh, meetings involving uh, cabinet ministers at the federal level as well as top city officials? Why was the province not there at the table? So they made this uh, request uh, to summon them before the hearing, and that summons was issued today. However, the Premier's office, the government, has already said that 
that they are not going to appear, that they have already handed over hundreds of pages of documents, that there are OPP officials here as well as senior uh, bureaucrats who know what was going on behind the scenes and can answer all those questions. Well, take a listen to Paul Champ. He says that's not good enough. There's a variety of other tools that the province could have had. There were requests for assistance from the Ministry of Transportation. Uh, you know, perhaps uh, different things can have been done with respect to those trucks. And we also, um, you know, at the end of the day, we've heard from the mayor of Ottawa. The prime minister will be appearing. The missing piece is the premier. And, uh, you know, this was such a catastrophic uh, mistake by all levels of government. Uh, I, I think, you know, the premier really should come here to answer uh, the questions for the people of Ottawa. So, Mike, it's interesting that the province is not showing up at this in terms of its elected officials. So why is that? What is the political calculation involved? Perhaps that is a question that uh, Doug Ford does not want to answer, nor does uh, Sylvia Jones. But those are questions that are imperative to uh, this inquiry, according uh, to Paul Champ. Mike. Yeah, especially up to this point, Judy, because we've heard a lot of blame being shifted everywhere. So how crucial is Ford's testimony in trying to paint a very a much clearer f picture of what this sort of multi-government response to the convoy was or, frankly, what it wasn't? Well, depending on who you ask, we are hearing different types of information, right? We are hearing that it was the uh, when the province issued a state of emergency. That's when resources started to move. That's when uh, that's when we started seeing a huge amount of resources go towards the Ambassador Bridge. We want to know whether or not uh, Premier Ford felt the situation in Ottawa was serious, or did it involve uh, the U.S. Uh, President uh, and Homeland Security basically weighing in? saying that they can offer help because there was, there was a major disruption to a trade route involving hundreds of millions of dollars in trade every day. And was that what prompted the province to act? So did they not care about Ottawa in the scheme of things? Because to put it in perspective, the protest started in Ottawa and then it spread to Windsor, it spread to Coots, it spread across the country. So why was, uh, what was the involvement of the province here at Ground Zero in Ottawa? Those are answers that people want to know. Mike. And answers that we were looking for today as well from the interim Ottawa Police Chief Steve Bell. Tell me a little bit about his testimony today, Judy. You know, interim uh, police chief Steve Bell at the time of the Freedom Convoy was responsible for what's called the three eyes. He was responsible for uh, gathering information, intelligence, and investigating these leads, right? So basically, what his unit, what his he was responsible for basically informed the police response to the protest. And what we found out today from Steve Bell as he testified was that he did not read any of the OPP intelligence reports in terms of their threat analysis until January 27th. That is one day before the truck started rolling into Ottawa. Now, he only read that January 27th report, and I'm going to give you a sense of what is in that report. Bear with me here. On that report dated January 27th, it's called the Hendon Report. Uh, OPP said that there was a man uh, who had the seized weapons from an individual uh, who was intending uh, to use them. Uh, uh, they also seized, uh, they also, uh, in, uh, someone in Saskatoon was interviewed in which he was cited as wanting to start a civil war and that he had guns and that he wanted to use them. 
another threat assessment on January 27th said that already millions of dollars had already been collected and donated to the cause. And then the uh, lawyer, the OPP lawyer, actually pointed out he wanted to know, you know, Deputy Chief Bell, where did you get the information that these protesters were only going to stay for a few days? And then uh, Bell answered, well, it was in terms of my assessment, in terms of my analysis of the details that were in various reports and information. And then the OPP lawyer pointed that on January 20th, OPP put out a release, put out a report, an intelligence report, saying that there is no exit strategy for these protesters, that there are chances for a major disruption and that they will only leave when vaccine mandates and other restrictions are dropped by the federal government. So they already had that knowledge of a long-term intention to stay. But yet, did Steve Bell, did OPS intelligence take that seriously? Mike. Question still to be answered. Thanks so much for that, Judy. CTV News' Judy Trin. The inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act. Now, from frustrations of dealing with protests to the frustrations Canadians are feeling at grocery stores, today in the House of Commons, Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne tried to offer Canadians some reassurance as the Competition Bureau launches a study into grocery prices. Minister Freeland and I hosted the Canadian Retail Council, so we had everyone around the table and said, each and every one of you needs to do your part. Uh, it's good to do a study. It's good to do eventually an investigation, but you know what Canadians want is to start seeing results now. It's a complex ecosystem. Uh, there's different uh, companies which are involved in that. One thing that they need to know is that we're watching very carefully, but also I think that uh, we demand that they're looking at what they can do to help consumers now because that's what uh, Canadians expect from them. So what will it take to bring down prices at the checkout counter? Well, the Competition Bureau says its study will center around three main questions. To what extent are higher grocery prices a result of changing competitive dynamics? What can we learn from steps that other countries have taken to increase competition in this sector? And how can governments lower barriers to entry and expansion to stimulate competition for consumers? Now, the Bureau has made it clear this is not a law enforcement study. And the Bureau is not examining any allegations of wrongdoing. The Competition Bureau says it will examine grocery prices until June of 2023. So that means we'll get some answers next year. What can the government do about it right now? Let's bring in the MPs to discuss this. Joining me right now, Associate Finance Parliamentary Secretary, Liberal Rachel Bendine, Conservative Critic for National Revenues, Adam Chambers, and NDP Whip Rachel Blaney. Thank you all for being here. We appreciate that. Ms. Bendine, we'll start with you. The Competition Bureau says the goal of this is to make recommendations. But really, a lot of people are looking for measures right now. So what will your government do right now to try and lower prices at the grocery store? Well, the first thing that we did when we came back um, from the summer break was to put forward an affordability plan, which includes a number of measures in order to help Canadians. Um, the first of which is obviously the GST rebate, which will be doubled um, and which folks will start seeing um, checks for in early November, so in a, just in two weeks' time. I would like to come back to the issue that we're discussing today and to Minister Champagne's work um, with the Competition Bureau. He wrote an initial letter in May signaling to the Competition Bureau that this needed to be looked at. He then sent another letter on Friday demanding 
demanding that we begin the process of an investigation, which so, happens to start so with a study. So does that commitment, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, that, does that commitment mean your government is committed to implementing the measures that the Competition Bureau suggests? Well, we haven't seen what the Competition Bureau suggests yet, so I think it would be premature to commit to something that doesn't exist. But, but I, if you're calling I, on them to come and investigate, wouldn't you then be open to implementing them? Open, absolutely, absolutely. And, and we will um, continue to push for, for the study to, to move forward swiftly and to, to wrap up as quickly as possible so that we can, we can get to some of the actions that are needed. But I would remind you that just, um, just recently, Minister Champagne and others have had very productive conversations, Loblaws and all of the supermarkets, um, part of the Loblaws chain have frozen their prices for a three-month period. So already um, we see industry taking action, um, you know, as a result of the conversations that we've had. Uh, Minister uh, Freeland uh, and Minister Champagne met with um, the Retail Council of Canada, looking at basically ensuring that companies at this stage of the game, when, when we see um, inflation at the rate that it is around the world, mm -hmm. um, are not benefiting off of the backs of Canadians. And by that I mean, um, you know, making a profit at a time uh, when we know the Canadians are hurting. Obviously, we see also costs to these companies increasing. And it, it, in many cases, um, you know, that's the result of, of factors completely out of the control of Canada or, or, of, these, uh, or of these companies. And, and with due respect, I'm assuming that the competition burial will be looking at things that are within this government's control. Mr. Chambers, I want to bring you in for a moment here. Um, so your party joined the other MPs in voting with the NDP's motion on, uh, you know, greedflation. I wanted to ask you, is the government doing enough to try and protect some of the smaller and independent grocers as well? Well, first, we were happy to vote uh, on this uh, motion to, to study uh, what, what people are calling, you know, potentially corporate greed. I think it's important that we don't make an assumption on the conclusion of a study before we see that. So, of course, we also think we should be looking at other sectors as well. Uh, the truth is there is no entity benefiting more from inflation in this country right now other than the federal government. Its revenues are ballooning. And so we're actually suggesting that we provide relief, immediate relief to Canadians, and, and as we tried to today, uh, in the form of some uh, tax reductions, uh, in particular on the carbon tax, which we understand drives costs up for people who transport does goods, that really transport lower, food. Does that really lower prices at the grocery store? Well, look, every, all the food has to be transported, and we're, we're suggesting that you sh the government should not be increasing taxes when it doesn't need the additional revenues at this time. Ms. Hay, uh, sorry, Ms. Blaney, your party called specifically for a Competition Bureau investigation in that motion on greedflation. Um, now that you have it, is this good enough? Well, I don't think it's good enough. We know that Canadians are struggling. I appreciate that some of these uh, supermarkets have frozen their prices, but I think it's also important that we recognize they're freezing them at the highest we've seen in 41 years. So that really means that the, the consumer, the everyday Canadian, especially those who are working really hard, um, who don't have a whole lot of extra in their pocket, are really having the pinch on them. And I think we have to recognize that. And I appreciate that the Liberals took the NDP idea to double the GST, which I was here uh, in the spring on CTV talking about and had both parties saying that they wouldn't agree. Of course, they all finally got on board. Mm -hmm. But we have to make sure that there's resources that are going straight to people who need it the most in this country. And this is one way that we can do it. But there's a lot of work that we need to do to continue to address this. Because when we know that people are struggling like this, it's imperative that the government step up and be part of the solution. We can't let the most uh, 
vulnerable, the hardworking Canadians of this country suffer at the same time that we're seeing some of these industries and the groceries chains, many of them are that, where they're seeing a huge amount of profit. So I think we really need to reconcile that. And I hear the other parties saying, oh, don't feel, you know, it's not their fault. But we know they're getting bigger bonuses, they're getting increases, and who's not getting an increase? Those frontline workers that are working for those industries. So we really need to be watching that and holding them to account. When we look at solutions, Ms. Bendayan, I mean, there's something that we're hearing out of Dalhousie's Agri-Food and Analytics Lab, uh, Sylvain uh, Chalabois, who was on CTV News Channel earlier today. And he was saying that Canada lacks the out-of-the-box thinking that countries like the U.S. has right now to solve regulatory problems. How do you respond to that? Well, I think there are a number of things that, of course, um, we can do at the regulatory level. But I'd just like to come back to the bigger picture here. You know, terrible weather conditions have resulted in lower yields for our agricultural products. We are in the middle of a war. Um, the, the war in Ukraine uh, continues to affect uh, global supply chains and food prices. And we've also seen, um, you know, energy prices um, at, at levels that we, we haven't before. So does that mean you just can't? do anything because there's too of many course. exterior factors? Of course not, but I think we, we should be mindful that there's no simple solution. At the, at the end of the day, there are, of course, you know, large grocery chains, but there's also the reality of our farmers and the agricultural industry. There's also the reality of our small mom and pop stores that are trying um, you know, to sell food at, at, you know, at prices um, w that, that will allow them to break even I, or, or ho hopefully make a living. I, I, I think, you know, I was at the grocery store this weekend. I, of course, see the prices continuing to rise, which is, which is why um, it was so important. And I come back to this, you know, last week on Wednesday, Statistics Canada released um, its most recent report on inflation. And it's showing that inflation over the last three months has actually de decreased in Canada by 15 percent compared with, to with other countries, respect, but, food, but not food, for food. But not Ex for food. And, exactly. And but not for food. that's what we're trying to hammer down. And that's here. why the Competitions Bureau study is so important. Okay, and I want to go to Mr. Chambers now. It's been five years since the bread price-fixing scandal. The Competition Bureau has been doing that as an ongoing investigation. I mean, I know that 2023 is one of the target dates for this kind of investigation. Do you have any hope that we're going to have actual results and, and some sort of solutions at the end of this? Well, you know, I would push the Competition Bureau for some kind of interim report perhaps earlier. I think that would be reasonable for Canadians. I think waiting until, you know, halfway through 2023 is, is a little too long, especially when people are looking for some immediate help. Uh, of course, you know, we should be increasing competition across many sectors in this country as a way to lower prices. Uh, that is, in our view, much better policy than, you know, putting on new taxes on industry. Government revenues, again, are incredibly high. They don't need the extra money. What we actually need is more competition to help bring prices down. But that's a long-term, uh, recognizing that's a long-term solution. So in the short term, you know, the levers that government does control uh, is to look at its its tax policies. So, you know, that is the most immediate thing government could do. And yes, totally recognize there are external factors that governments and people cannot control. But the one thing that governments control is setting the, the right tax rate. So I think we should give Canadians a break. Ms. Blaney, I saw you shaking your head when Ms. Ben Dyne was mm -hmm. talking before, but I want to ask you also as well. I mean, to give Canadians a break right now, mm -hmm. if you, you were in government, what would you do? 
Well, I think we've taken some good steps that the Liberals happily have followed. But here's the thing. We know what happened with the bread scandal. That let us know across this country that there was something to doubt within our grocery stores. Then when we see a motion in the House uh, that is unanimously supported before that, the day, the morning of that vote, of course, we heard uh, from Loblaw saying, oh, we're going to freeze. Well, then all of a sudden what they were saying that they couldn't do was control the prices within their grocery stores. They proved that they absolutely can do that. So I think we need to have higher accountability. We need the Competition Bureau to do its job. But we also need to recognize that we need that done more wholesomely all the time because we have to protect Canadians. That should be where our focus is. If people cannot feed their families, if they don't know how they're going to feed their children, we need to take that serious. The federal government needs to step up and make sure those supports are there, that they're in place, and that they stop sort of blaming everyone else. And when it comes to innovation around farming, I mean, I absolutely agree. There's a lot of innovation across Canada and our farms. Quite frankly, the folks that I've talked to, I have farmers in my writing, have said that the federal government is not listening to the things that would make their jobs so much easier. So we need regional approaches that make sense locally, but we need that investment and we need that attention, and hopefully the federal government will step up. Rachel Blaney, Adam Chambers, Rachel Bendine, thank you all for joining us on this. I appreciate it. Coming up next, taking over the UK Parliament. The new leader for the UK Tories is set to make history when he takes over the keys to 10 Downing Street. So what will be the biggest changes for the United Kingdom's next Prime Minister? We'll speak to the former Canadian High Commissioner to the UK, Jeremy Kinsman, next. Stay right here. Power Play will be back. The United Kingdom is a great country, but there is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity, and I will make it my utmost priority to bring our party and our country together, because that is the only way we will overcome the challenges we face and build a better, more prosperous future History is being made in the United Kingdom. Rishi Sunak has won the leadership contest for the governing UK Conservatives after his only rival, Penny Mordaunt, withdrew from the race. Sunak will become the UK's first Prime Minister of Colour and the first Hindu Prime Minister. Now, it all comes days after Liz Truss's abrupt resignation and it left Westminster in chaos. Sunak had previously lost the leadership contest to Truss back in September. Sunak will be the United Kingdom's third PM in three months. So is third time a charm for the UK Tories? Or will international party divisions ruin his reign too? Joining me now is former Canadian High Commissioner to the UK, Jeremy Kinsman. He's also a distinguished fellow of the Canadian International Council. Thank you so much for joining us. I'll dig right in here. What's your reaction to Sunak's win? Well, this is, uh, this is momentous, as you say. Uh, it is uh, Rooney, uh, Rishi, Rishi Sunak is a very competent guy, very attractive guy. Uh, he lost the first round uh, to Liz Truss, who was uh, underknown, I would guess I'd say. Uh, and uh, once uh, the public uh, and the polling and the markets got to see her and know her a little better, they didn't like what they saw. And so he had a second shot, and uh, he ran away with it. There was some 
speculation, feeling, that Boris Johnson saw this at his, as his Churchill moment to be resurrected and get back into the, into the game. Uh, he might have won, you know, with the, uh, with the membership of the Conservative Party, the 200,000 people at large who are mostly uh, rural, older, wealthier, whiter than the country's public. Uh, but he didn't get the chance because, the, uh, by their rules, the members of uh, the conservative members of parliament, about 370 odd conservative members of parliament, chose uh, Sunak as the, uh, their sole nominee. So he becomes prime minister tomorrow. And he's inheriting a country that has economic turmoil. Now, one would say that he's best suited to handle it, ex-chancellor uh, of the uh, exchequer. Now, so does that experience mean that he can actually try and get all of, uh, all of this under control in the UK? Well, he's, he can't get everything under control because a lot of what is happening in the UK is coming from outside the UK. That's true of every country. I mean, it, it is the international framework that's affecting us uh, from the markets. Uh, you know, Liz Truss had destabilized everything by basically uh, pronouncing uh, that she was going to introduce unfunded tax cuts uh, for the wealthy, thereby committing two sins at once. Uh, she was irritating everybody who wasn't wealthy. And two, she was irritating the markets because those tax cuts weren't funded. And at the same time, she was arguing for smaller government at a time when things looked like you needed government intervention on the social support side. The big issue in Britain, as it is, you just went through it in your program here in Canada, as it is in the United States, is inflation. Can he tame inflation? No, uh, not entirely, but he can perhaps tame the markets, which will get interest rates down and get at least these terrifyingly uh, 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 increased mortgage uh, payment uh, implications of higher inter rates, interest rates off the table for, for normal Brits with homes. So he can do a lot. Well, what he can basically do is to communicate effectively and transparently uh, that, that he's in charge that he knows what he's doing, uh, and that uh, and the markets can rely on the British government again. What he won't do is call another general election, because the Tories are right now at 14% in the polls. And that would be, of course, suicide. They'd be virtually wiped out. And that's a little and tough, Mr. Kinsman, because yeah, he's Mr. unelected, Kinsman, I... and so was Liz Truss. Yeah, Mr. Kinsman, I'm sorry. We're going to have to leave it there. We're all out of time. I really do appreciate you taking the time to join us, though. Really appreciate it. Jeremy Kinsman, thanks again for being with us. Coming up, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says he'll likely be, keep supporting the Liberals, even if the Emergencies Act inquiry finds the Trudeau government was offside on invoking the act. So where is the line in the sand for the NDP to stop supporting the Liberals? The former NDP MP Matsu Dubé joins the press gallery next. Stay with PowerPlay. Depending on the results, we, we'd have to hear exactly what the results are. I don't want to presuppose... Uh, the findings, if there's something that, that comes out in the findings that, that I didn't imagine or I didn't anticipate, 
uh, then we'll have to reserve our judgment. But uh, simply because it was the wrong decision uh, wouldn't be enough for us to break uh, or, or to, to, to force the, the country into an election. That was NDP leader Jagmeet Singh on CTV's question period yesterday, admitting his party will not end the supply and conference agreement with the Liberals if the Public Order Emergency Commissioner finds the government's use of the Emergencies Act was unjustified. And when the Emergencies Act was invoked, the NDP had supported the move as a way to end the weeks-long convoy protests. A month later, the NDP and Liberals made that agreement, they announced it, and on Friday, the National Director of the NDP, Anne McGrath, told us on PowerPlay right here that her party would reconsider that same support if dental care and pharmacare were put on the Liberal chalking, chopping block. Have a listen. I think if there was any uh, attempt to pull back on some of the things that are in the agreement, particularly dental care, pharmacare, and other things that are in there, there would be some problems. Mm -hmm. there's, no, there's no question in my mind about that. We've been clear all the way along that, 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 the, that the price of, of, uh, uh, of, of voting uh, in, for, in confidence measures uh, for this government mm -hmm. to make sure that there is no election, uh, the price of that is the things that are in the agreement. So could the, NDP lose, could the NDP lose support for backing the Liberals' decision to invoke the Emergencies Act? And with fiscal restraint being the government's new path forward, what does that mean for dental and farmer care? Let's bring in our press gallery to weigh in. We have CTV's Parliamentary Bureau Chief right here, Joyce Napier, Queen's Park Bureau Chief at the Toronto Star, Robert Benzi, and our special guest is former NDP MP Matthew Dubé. He's now Senior Associate at Proof Strategy. Thank you so much for being here. Joyce, we're going to start with you, because you were the one who asked that question on question period. Uh, and he said that he would unlikely pull support from the Liberals if this commission came back saying that it was unjust. So do you think they would have a different tune to sing here if they didn't have the supply and confidence agreement and, uh, and it wasn't being met just yet? That's a, that's a good question. I think, look, it's clear that in sort of agreeing to the supply and confidence agreement, it's a little bit like, you know, would be like a bit of a political marriage. Uh, so, you know, f for better or for worse. Um, and he also said, look, it, it, I don't think that, that it is worth throwing the country into an election if we pull our confidence uh, from, from the Liberals. So they voted for it, the supply and confidence. And you heard Anne McGrath, and that's exactly where they're at. The NDP wants certain things done. Uh, they want the dental care, the GST rebate, the rental subsidy, pharmacare is a completely different story. Right. Probably this is not the right economic context for it, but they're there for those things. And unless there's something untoward that comes out in this, uh, in this commission, uh, what we're hearing now is that really it was such chaos that it seemed to be the only thing that put an end to it. What we'll hear yeah. in the next few weeks is a different story, but it, it is... It didn't surprise me that the party who voted in favor of it, and I mean, Jagmeet Singh is a lawyer, so he's not completely foreign to these, to these concepts, are not foreign to him. Right. So it made sense that they would stay on. Uh, you know, unless something comes out, some conversation that makes it so that this was actually um, a dishonest yeah. uh, uh, invoking of the of the act, but I'm other bring in than Mr. that, Dubin, yeah. just for a second here, I mean, the NDP supported the invocation of the Emergencies Act, as Joyce was just saying. At the same time as we were seeing those protests, I mean, should we be surprised that the commission's conclusion won't be a deal breaker for Mr. Singh? 
I don't think so. I think you look at what Jagmeet Singh said at the time in his speech on the Emergencies Act, and he said it, the fact that the act was invoked was an admission of failure by the government, and as he put it at the time, all levels of government. And I think uh, arguably the findings of the commission up till now are, are demonstrating that there was um, you know, a lack of communication, to put it mildly, in some corners, and definitely a lot that could have been done better. But I believe that ripping up the agreement over this would be very cynical. I think to stick with it, to own the position that the party took at the time, which no doubt was a challenging caucus. I suspect that there were many concerns over what the implications of the decision would be to support the government on this, but uh, to arrive at that consensus as a group and to take a position um, and to arrive today and to own that and say, look, it certainly might not have been the perfect scenario, but up until now, uh, everything that motivated that decision the circumstances around the protest seems to be validated. Whether or not the act was necessary or not, we'll see what the conclusion is. But um, I do believe, you know, to Joyce's point, that it doesn't seem like anything uh, so egregious that it would make the NDP need to consider throwing the entire country into an election over is what's going to come out of this. If anything, it looks like a lot of the things Jagmeet Singh said at the time are true. So to thread that needle is probably a refreshing uh, change of pace for a lot of folks to say, look, uh, it might not have been perfect. You might not like that we had to do that. We'll own that. Let's move on to other things and other things that are in this agreement and not uh, kickstart an election over it. Rob, to that end, I mean, does the the whole outcome of this commission actually resonate with Canadians or is, is that sort of why uh, all about it doesn't really, you know, is it not as important to most Canadians out there? I, you know what, Mike, I think the, I think that, that what Matthew and, and Joyce are saying is correct, that that I, I think it's already baked in. What uh, if, you, if you like Justin Trudeau, uh, you're going to be fine with whatever the the, uh, the outcome of this inquiry. And frankly, I I personally think that it's actually going to vindicate the decision, even if the inquiry says it was too heavy-handed. At the end of the day, as Joyce pointed out, nothing was happening. It was a three-week stalemate until they invoked the Emergencies Act. The police in Ottawa, the police, uh, the Ontario Provincial Police and other police forces were not doing what they had to do, even though they're now arguing with a little bit of hindsight and revisionist history uh, that that they had the powers that they didn't need this act. Well, if they had the powers, why didn't you do anything before the act was invoked? So I think that in the court of public opinion, uh, Mr. Trudeau's decision will be vindicated. And I think Mr. Stang. Uh, is is shrewd and uh, and smart enough to know that uh, the people who vote for him are going to agree with him because they don't like the convoy protesters. It's a different story, obviously, for the for Pierre Polyev and the Conservatives. They have made their own peace with with some some in the, in those uh, in those protests, and I get that. But they didn't support the Emergencies Act. The New Democrats did, and the Liberals did. Rob, thank you very much for that. Stick around, Joyce, you as well. Matt Dubé, thank you very much for being with us. We're going to have to leave it there. Coming up, though, Ford fighting back. Both Doug Ford and Sylvia Jones have been compelled to testify to the commission, but the government, the Ontario government, that is, is fighting that call. Will they be compelled to attend? The Canadian Civil Liberties Association digs in next with our press gallery panel. Be right back. Welcome back. Closed lips at Queen's Park. Both Ontario Premier Doug Ford and Solicitor General Sylvia Jones have been compelled to testify 
to the Emergencies Act inquiry, but the politicians are looking for a court exemption. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association was quick to respond, saying Ontario's leadership is actively obstructing the Commission's work. So, what will it take to get Premier Ford and Sylvia Jones in front of the Commission, and is a legal storm brewing? Let's bring Brack to the press gallery, CTV National News' Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier, the Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau Chief Robert Benzie, and our next special guest is lawyer Laura Berger. Laura is the Public Safety Program Director with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. Welcome to all. Laura, let's start with you. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association has been calling for Premier Ford and Minister Jones to testify. The association says they're obstructing the Commission's work. So, what can you legally do to get them in front of the Commission? Well, the Commission has taken that step. Um, so today we found out that the Commission had issued a summons, uh, which it is entitled to do under Section 4 of the Federal Inquiries Act. Uh, and a summons allows the Commission to compel witnesses to provide evidence that's necessary for the Commission to do its work to get to the heart of what happened last February, the decisions, the actions that led up to the invocation of the Emergencies Act, and to make recommendations for the future. And what's quite unusual is we've now seen the government of Ontario indicating that they are going to seek judicial review of the summons. That means that they're actually going to go to court to challenge that requirement. Uh, it's quite exceptional to see a premier and a minister who have something to say, have, have answers to provide to Ontarians and to Canadians, uh, but who are resisting the requirement to come and provide evidence to the Commission. Laura, I was going to ask you, have you ever seen something like this? I mean, you've had the Premier who said that he just hasn't been asked, and now they're sort of, you know, challenging it. Um, you know, what is the merit in your mind, or is there a merit for what they're actually arguing here, that it's parliamentary privilege? Yeah, we are going to need to dig into those legal arguments uh, more deeply and to see whether there's any merit there. I, I can tell you that we were quite surprised today. Um, last week, along with a number of other groups that are involved in the inquiry, uh, we wrote to the Commission and we asked them to call on the Premier to come and give evidence. Uh, we were quite surprised today um, to hear, first of all, that the Commission had made overtures to the Premier and to Minister Jones, um, going as far back as September, inviting them to participate in the process. Um, and we were again very surprised uh, at this decision from the Ontario government to challenge the summons. You know, a Commission of Inquiry like this one, it's not a civil trial, it's not even, it's not a criminal trial. It's a proceeding aimed at laying out the truth, getting the evidence out there, and making recommendations for the future. Uh, and in our view, there's no reason that the democratically elected premier of a province or a, a minister as well should, should hesitate to participate in that process because it's aimed at trying to do things better in the future. Rob, I want to ask you, what's the strategy here for Ford? It's, you know what, Mike, it's a very unusual situation, to Laura's point. Um, I... I, I think the premier would probably like to testify if it was up to him alone, um, because he has been quite outspoken about the convoys, and he was, of course, the only premier who actually supported Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, in invoking that act. Ontario had its own Emergencies Act at the same time. In fact, Ontario has actually since changed some laws uh, regarding the um, the protests at the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor, um, so that that they can seize trucks more easily and and things like that. I, I think, though that the Premier's advisors are very, very wary 
about having him under oath because you have your political leader under oath on the stand and who knows what kind of rabbit holes uh, they can be taken down uh, in by, by uh, lawyers. I mean, we've seen some of the cross-examination. Cross some of the lawyers are very smart and capable. Think of Tom Curry, who's, the, who's uh, Peter Slowley's lawyer. Uh, there's a lot of things that, that, I, that you don't want to have uh, your premier or your minister say on the stand under oath. Uh, it could come, out, come back to bite you. But by not testifying, Mike, it makes it look like they've got something to hide. And that's a really bad look uh, for, from a political optics point of view. Yeah, to that end, Joyce, politically, what does this do to Doug Ford, who again, I mean, last week had said, yeah, I just haven't been asked. He didn't say, yes, I'm dying to testify, but he said, oh, I just haven't been asked. Well, interesting uh, that, you know, his lawyers and, you know, probably Benzie's right that his lawyers are advising that you could get. But, you know, the prime minister is going to testify. The deputy prime minister of Canada is going to testify. So he wouldn't be the, you know, sort of high ranking fellow uh, testifying there or elected one. Look, uh, the provincial government has come out a lot already in the, in, in the first weeks of this commission. The role of right. the OPP, who was telling who what. Um, the fact that the, the premier himself would not go to those meetings, the federal, provincial, municipal meetings, the, the sort of crisis group, he didn't want to go. He thought it was a waste of time. So, you know, what's in it for him politically to go to this as well? You've got to think about that. Uh, there's nothing politically to gain. Mm -hmm. uh, he has managed to, to, to not actually, um, you know, sort of have to eat the impact of this, have to... He's not paying a political price, unlike Justin Trudeau, who did invoke. So he could support the, the act. He said he supported it. He supported up to now the, invo the invoking of this act. But he doesn't want to testify because, you know, once he testifies, he gets involved politically right. and he may carry some of the blame. So, you know, probably there's nothing in it for him. Uh, I thought Madame Jones was going to testify anyway. She was on the list. So he's probably thinking, you know, I've got my solicitor or my former solicitor general testifying. She will give the point of view of, of Ontario why we didn't do what we didn't do, because there are a lot of things that the government of Ontario did not do. They had invoked an emergencies act, so why wasn't the OPP here faster? Why didn't the police act faster anyway? So those questions go to him, and he bears some, or his government bears some responsibility for it. And those questions will remain unanswered until he comes out and says something. Joyce, Rob, appreciate it. Laura Berger, thank you also for joining us here in the press gallery. Thank you for watching. That's your Power Play Day in Politics. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We'll be back here tomorrow. Until then, have a great night and don't forget to vote if you're in Ontario.